Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 351, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. A lot to get into, a lot of interesting thoughts as we approach the NFL scouting combine that'll be coming up here before too long. Some stuff to throw out there for that. Got some spring training notes that I think are kind of interesting, but we always start off the podcast by telling you about Greening Law. We couldn't do the podcast without these guys. They're a big sponsor, and they help us out tremendously. And I know that many of you have reached out, much like I did. I was hurt in a car accident, as a lot of you know, coming up, man, a year and a half ago now. And it's it's a process when you get hit like that, and it's not your fault, and you don't know what to do because you got to go to the emergency room, and you have all these bills and all these things. Well, Greening Law comes in. They're a personal injury lawyer that fights the insurance companies to make sure that you get taken care of. And I got to tell you, and I've said this, and this is 100% my experience, they're phenomenal to work with. I have no idea, no idea how people could do this without somebody like Robert Greening and his green team, which is why I would recommend if you find yourself in that situation, you need to give them a call. Dude, that's because the green team, here's what they do, man. The Mets broke it down a little bit, but here's what they do. They take you through the process. They hold your hand. They walk you here. They say, turn left, turn right, uh, jump right here, stop, hold tight. I mean, all that stuff. Who doesn't want somebody guiding you through this kind of long, tedious, complicated process right there with you all the way? Because this stuff can be scary, man. It can be uh, mind sapping. It can be energy draining. And who doesn't want somebody whose expertise Check that out. Whose expertise is helping you walk through a situation like this. So if you're in this situation, we've been hurt in a car accident or at a business somewhere that ain't your crib. Get on the phone, pick it up, call the green team and say, yo, here's my details. Because that call is free. Why, Matt? Because they don't get paid unless you get paid. That's exactly right. So if you think you've got a case, give them a call. Find out. Maybe you do. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So you sent me this thing the other day, and I'm fascinated by this because I don't know how many people realize this, but when the NFL draft, obviously at the end of April and on into early May, they go to the scouting combine before they get to that point. And I think everybody at some point in the last few years 
or at some point in your sports fandom, you are familiar with what was known as the Wonderlick. And the Wonderlick test was something that the NFL used for forever at the combine to try and essentially gauge intelligence of prospects coming out of college at the combine, a 50 question test that was like an exam. But they have transitioned out of using the Wonderlick test, and they now use something that I think is fascinating. It's called the S2 cognition test. And yes. this this was apparently developed by a couple of guys, one of whom went to Vanderbilt, and they had originally developed this because they were going to study memory loss and Alzheimer's type things of how can we help people later in life? How can we learn how quickly their brain processes and stuff like that? And they've taken that test and they've kind of tweaked it and they now use it for athletes. And they have tested more than 40,000 athletes from all types of different leagues. They have contracts with 14 NFL teams and they've already been testing the players at the college all-star games that are going on. And they'll do more testing coming up next week at the combine in Indianapolis, which is wild, man. They say that by the time the draft begins, they will have scores for more than 800 NFL prospects. Well, the thing about it is it seems to be a much better type of test uh, because it determines kind of like your ability to process information. Um, You know, Wonderlick, man, is just plain stupid to me because uh, it's like a lot of standardized tests. It just depends on what you're exposed to as a kid or as a child in the environment in which you grew up, in which a lot of cases as a kid, you have zero control over that. So you look stupid because you can't figure out some math word test and you're in a low performing district where they don't even teach that stuff, um, let alone get to college and be unprepared to do it. So, you know, Wonderlick and all those things yeah. really, to me, were uh, inconsequential and stupid. And now it seems like they've got a better way to gauge whether people have an aptitude for doing certain things in the league. And that's really, to me, what you should be looking for. Yeah, but basically what this test does is it's designed to, there's a variety of different things that it can do, but it's it's the, the gist of it is how quickly your brain process of information. It's a 40 to 45 minute exam. They perform it on a specially designed gaming laptop and a response pad that can record reactions in two milliseconds. And they say to put that in perspective of how fast that is, an eye blink lasts 100 to 150 milliseconds. Yeah, it don't get much faster than that. Right, so think about this. So they say in one section of the exam, a series of diamonds flash on the screen for 16 milliseconds each. Every diamond is missing a point, and the test taker must determine which part is missing. There's another test where objects, they just, how many objects can an athlete keep track of at the same time? In another one, there's 22 figures on the screen, and the athlete must locate a specific one as quickly as possible. For example, a red triangle embedded in a bunch of other shapes that are also red. And they say that what they're seeing is, this is fan, it's really interesting. I, I thought this was mind-boggling to me. They said they're seeing that most people, you have the ability to perceive things within 16 one-thousandth of a second. And he said, we're seeing pro baseball players that are seeing something way faster than that, which has never been reported in literature before. And he says, so basically what it is, is that a lot, like our, eye, our eyes may see the same thing, but for some of us, it may take longer to process than others. And when we're talking about a fastball coming to you, a curveball, when we're talking about you're dropping back to pass and you have literally under seconds to process all that information, 
the difference in milliseconds can be the difference in how quickly you're processing that and getting the ball back out, which can make you successful in some obvious situations that you would be versus others. Oh, dude, I mean, I think I'm not surprised by that at all. I mean, you've you've heard about enough baseball players, the great ones who say, oh, yeah, I could tell that was a two-seamer or I could tell that was a curveball from the rotation. And you're like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, and Barry Bonds, somebody like that, uh, I think there's some other player who was like, oh, yeah, I could see something off the, off the spin as soon as it came off the pitcher's hand. And that, to me, is just that's why some baseball players are, are great at what they right. do because their eyes – allow them to process that information faster than anybody else so they can adjust faster and then hit the baseball. So this test, they consider anything above the 80th percentile to be elite if you score 80% or higher on this test. And that's one of the things, and they use Brock Purdy as an example here, and they don't give out his exact score because it's privileged information, but they said that their Brock Purdy's success to them this past year wasn't a surprise because he scored in the mid-90s on this, about where Drew Brees had scored, where Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen also are. And Joe Burrow, who took this test while at LSU, he allowed them to release his information. And why not? Because he scored in the 97th percentile of this information processing test, which, you know, you look at some of these guys, and obviously the names that I just threw out there are some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And then you kind of go, well, you're... For whatever reason, your brain processes some of this stuff quicker, which allows you to make quicker decisions, which would lead you, you would think, to being a better NFL quarterback. Yeah, once you got the athletic ability, it's all about how fast your brain processes stuff. That's why people who process it slower have more have a, you know a higher failure rate, or maybe they throw more interceptions because they don't recognize things quite as quickly. Um, you know, and I think again, man, this is okay. Tell the truth, man. Don't you really kind of want to take this test now? Yes, I do. <laughs> But then again, I mean, it's obviously going to be a lot different if you're taking it coming out of college, I would imagine, than if you're taking it in your mid-40s, your 50s, as you age. At some point, your brain begins to slow down, I would imagine. Oh, I can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) Not over here. Now, I think it's interesting because, like, I can't see, you know. I've had glasses since I was five years old. Yeah. But I took a test, and I can't – it may have been part of my ophthalmology thing. Uh, I took a test where it judges your peripheral vision. And my peripheral vision was like off the charts in the 90th percentile, which I found odd because, okay, I can't really see ahead. It's terrible. But anything sneaking up to the side or anything off to the side, whether it was blinking lights or fingers or any of that, I had no problem seeing. And and to me, that's just the bizarre nature of how the brain works. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating too because you dig into this and they say that the S2 score – has been very comparative to what quarterback ratings have been. And and they don't have, like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers entered the league. They didn't start testing until 2015. So there's no scores for guys oh, like they've that. they got one for Dak. I'm sure they do, but we don't know what it is. But they do say, if you look at 27 of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL that they have information for, 13 of them have a career passer rating above 90, which Dak's career passer rating is above 90. The average score of those players was the 91st percentile. Those with passer ratings below 90 had much lower test results. As a matter of fact, the 14 quarterbacks in the NFL, starting quarterbacks that do not have career passer ratings above 90, they averaged a score in the low 60s on this S2 test. 
Well, that's a big difference between 68th percentile and 90%. Right, which would lead you to believe higher passer rating, you might have a higher score on something like this because you're processing information better. Lower passer rating, you might not be as good of a quarterback, which would make sense that you're not processing things quite as quickly. They say that top-tier quarterbacks have the highest average score, and the second highest average score is by safeties. And they say the average human being can keep track of about three and a half objects at one time. The average safety in the NFL can do six. Now, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, wild, man. Because why doesn't it surprise me? Because what are safeties? Quarterbacks are your defense. They yeah. got to see everything in front of them. Um, so it's it would seem to me that they would be able to see and process. They also, and a lot of times, call your defensive coverages and set your defensive alignments up from the back end. So it would make sense to me that safeties would yeah. have the highest score. Yeah, and then linebackers and cornerbacks are the third highest on average. And it's, it, it's interesting. They say that the last year, the highest S2 score in last year's draft class for 2022 was a cornerback, Trent McDuffie, who ended up starting 15 games, including the Super Bowl for the Kansas City Chiefs. They say Brock Purdy wasn't too far behind. And it's like they do all kinds of different tests on this. They say one of the tests looks at impulse control. And one of the creators of this says that low scores predict substandard play as well as holding and pass interference penalties. <laughs> because if you're impulsive, you have just like a your your cognitive reaction is to reach out or grab or do something that you you can't control that you know I'm getting beat I got to grab like those types of things. Right. No, that makes sense, dude. Um, that's gonna be a whole. That's gonna open up a whole whole new world, bro. Yes, it is. It's very much because, gonna open up a whole new world because that's a lot more tangible. You know, reaction to the test. Yeah, that's not the word I'm. I don't know if that's the way I want to say it, but you know what I mean? But yeah. it's more, this makes sense relative, like your test score relative to your performance exactly. makes a lot more sense than than the Wonderlick, which, to, I mean, I just can't say how dumb it is and how it makes just no sense at all to me. Uh, whether I can do algebra has nothing to do with whether I can play football. Exactly. Uh, or whether I can answer if two trains leave it from two different places going two different miles an hour, whether I can make a tackle or not. It just has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, and, and that's where I, I, this is just an absolutely interesting, fascinating look at this. And they said that they've, been, they've now been doing seven full years of the draft. That last year overall for the draft class was the worst year they've ever had score-wise on whole. And he says this year, going into their eighth year, this is far and away the best we've ever had score-wise at the quarterback position. And he even goes on to say, I do have a feeling that a quarterback from Alabama that we have tested every year since he was in 10th grade might end up sharing his results publicly because he owns the results and the NFL does not, and that he has scored very, very impressively. And obviously Ooh. that's Bryce Young. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about, you know, these dudes are about to become billionaires. Yeah. Because every sports league will be using it. And then as they make the test available to colleges, you know, then – you know, high schools will start using it. I mean, it, it's there's no end to it. And then the market is forever there. The market never changes. It just grows, but it doesn't change. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'd it's, probably buy me a Lamborghini now in a mansion. <laughs> I mean, barring injury, yeah. I mean, that's – I just – when you see this test, man, and I was like, yes, I wanted to take it. I was like, where would I rate? What would I do? Because I completely agree with you. Like, the Wonderlick was – like, it, it was just stupid. And, and this is a type of test that you go, okay, well, when you drop back to pass and you've got 
a second and a half to figure out where I need to go and go through your reads or whatever it is. You know, these types of testing like this is, I think, a lot more indicative of that than anything that the Wonderlook could ever tell you. And, and again, it goes back to the reason why they originally were starting to design this when they met. It even says in the article, these two dudes that created this, one was studying Parkinson's disease. The other was studying Alzheimer's disease. And they noted that they had patients that were having trouble with visual processing, like getting lost in a supermarket parking lot or whatever. Right, right. And so he said that basically they created this for that level. And then they realized that they could kind of tweak it a little bit and started using it with athletes. And now, I mean, they're working with the NFL and it, it's it's interesting, man. And, that, and this is where technology, the development of technology like this is fantastic. Bro, I mean, that's that's what you want, man. You want technology that makes life easier than it helps people. This, uh, to me, should do both. And, and to me, it'll... Uh, It'll be interesting to see where this goes and how how the games evolve around it uh, and how it applies to other sports. Like, we know how it applies to football. Like, how would it apply to hockey or how would it apply to ba- basketball? Uh, I think we've kind of heard how it applies to baseball. Maybe you maybe you don't take a guy – maybe you take a guy – you know, baseball's got a 100-round draft. Right, yeah. Maybe you take a guy in the 10th round instead of the 27th round because even though his measurables don't match up, he's off the charts on this test you go – well, if he can do that, then he should be able to hit, and you know we'll figure out the rest. Yeah, and and again, and we already are, are most of us are aware of this. I mean, when NFL teams are going to put this type of investment into a guy coming out of college, I mean, they, they do all kinds of background checks and trying to figure out who they are and what they're about. And hey, we're about to guarantee you essentially however many millions of dollars it's going to be. We want to know what we're investing in, and this is just another one of those types of opportunities for the teams giving this money to have a better understanding of you know the information you want to me i would think as a team you want all the information you can possibly get yeah i mean there's all of it which is why they do that that silly crap at the combine all the time where we're like i mean cool you're really fast but you're not going to run like that in the nfl i mean when are you running a straight line with no pads on but still you want to know every little possible thing you can find out no, it's a uh, dude. This will. Uh, I can't wait to see how this goes on. This is a good introduction to the people. Not something we need to keep up with. Yeah, man, it is, and I'll be curious to see. And again, they don't release the scores, I guess, publicly unless the athletes want to put them out there. So we'll see how that goes. But it'll be it'd be one of those things because the combine starts. I believe it actually sometime next week. week. I think it starts on Tuesday. Yeah, I think the last day of February. Clarence Hill told me he'd be there Thursday, so we'd have to figure out when to get him. All right. Yeah, very nice. So that's the thing. Yeah. So NFL Combine already here, and then we'll see who is the the freak of the Combine. It's like, oh, wow, wow. What? How, you know, is Bryce Young going to be tall enough? It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, I think, but okay, I'm, I'm going to take a very quick exit ramp. This just seems stupid to me. Because I heard Mel Kuyper, who's, you know, draft aficionado, talk about this. Yeah. You know. Bryce Young, we, we, we can't wait to see him at the Combine. If he's under 195, can't take him with the first pick, da-da-da-da. So what you're telling me is if he's 194, eh, I'm out. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, and, like, I don't even care. So Bryce Young, I tell you, what, what is he doing right now? We know exactly what he's doing right now, man. He's eating a peanut butter jelly sandwich that he just chased with a 5,000-calorie 5, 5, protein shake. 
so that when he get to the combine, he can weigh 206. And then by the time the draft shows up and by the time training camp, I mean the first mini camp, right. he'll be back to what, Matt? 194. Right. Just, I mean, this is just uh, just stupid to me. He weighs what he weighs. He looks like what he looks like. And you either think he's the exception to the rule and he could do that thing or you don't. Yeah. And, you know, again, you look at Bryce Young, it's not like he struggled with injuries at Alabama very often. Not like Tua. Uh, and, and Tua was, I think, like 215, 220 coming out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, injuries in a lot of cases are looking to draw. But I think the difference will be, you know, you know, some of it's just where you get drafted and how they can protect you and whether because you're going to get hit in the league, but you get hit by bigger, faster players more yeah. often. And so, but again, man, some of it just depends on how you get hit, and that's just the luck of the draw. It's like playing roulette every time you drop back to pass. Yeah, that's very much the the, the case. It's also very much the case if you have a problem with your vehicle, you ought to take it over to Freeway Tire Shop. JR and his guys, we've been telling you about JR. I mean, he's been one of our longtime sponsors who stays with us. You guys support him, which helps to support us. But the great thing of it is he does great work. I mean, we tell you about this dude for a reason. He's the mechanic you can trust. For those of you that haven't experienced Freeway Tire Shop yet, the next time you need tires, you need any type of mechanical work done, hell, we all need oil changes. Go give them a shot. Swing by Freeway Tire Shop. I think you're going to be absolutely blown away at the level of customer service that you receive. It's a fair price, and the dude stands behind his work. What more do you need? Hey, longtime listener and Philadelphia Eagles fan Trey went by there the other day and said, hey, everything you said about him was true, and it was cheaper than uh, a couple other places he'd been by to get some work done on his car. And, uh, you know, what we tell you about is, is this, and, and it doesn't change. <laughs> whether it's me going over there or, you know, Trey going over there, which is you can trust JR to diagnose what's wrong with your car. And then a lot of times he gives you the choice. And so you can trust him with whether they're using quality parts to fix it because they'll say, hey, this costs a little more, but it'll last a little longer, or you can go a little cheaper route that'll last a little shorter. You tell me what you want to do. Who don't want a mechanic like that, bro? Then you can trust him to charge you a fair price. Didn't say cheap. I said fair. Mm -hmm. So it's whatever it costs is whatever it costs, man. You got to get your car fixed. You got to get it fixed. You just want a fair price. Don't be gouging me with $7 million worth of labor and the part costs 12 bucks. And then, man, you can trust him to stand behind his work. If I'm still making the same sound a week later, just bring it back and say, hey, man, it's still doing it. Oh, okay. Let me check it again. Oh, here's what it is. Boom. You're fixed. You're out the door. It's all good. If your mechanic ain't doing that, man, then you need to go. Right up the street, up 35, get off at Commonwealth. It's about five minutes from downtown. And uh, go through the light. JR, Freeway Tires on the right. Stop through. Tell him that your boys from Jam Sessions sent you. He'll probably give you a hug. Maybe he's got an extra T-shirt he can give you. And uh, go from there. Make it happen, man. Jacques just told you all about it. It's Freeway Tire Shop. You can check them out online, too. Don't forget it. FreewayTireShop.com. So it is mock draft season. And... We'll get into this a little bit more once we get past the scouting combine, perhaps, and we'll start doing some of those fun draft machine drafts where we take a look at what the Cowboys may be trying to do. But there are so many different mock drafts that are out there, from the Mel Kuypers, Todd McShay, Bucky Brooks. You've got Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler and Walter Football. and all, I mean, there's a gazillion of them now. Well, it's fascinating because when you look at all these different mock drafts that have come out the last week or two, it is really interesting the amount of different positions and players that these supposed draft experts 
have the Cowboys taking with the 26th overall pick. You got everything from B. John Robinson that Mel Kuyper has put out there. You've got defensive players like Maryland quarterback Deontay Banks. That's who Bucky Brooks throws out there for you. The edge, Keon White from Georgia Tech. Dane Brugler, who I actually like quite a bit, he puts out Siaki Ika, the Baylor nose tackle, which is wild. And, and he even puts on this. He goes, history tells us this won't be the pick because the Cowboys haven't drafted a DT in the top 50 since Russell Maryland back in 1991. Then why would you put him on there, dude? Yeah, then why would you put him on here? I, <laughs> That's all I'm saying, bro. That one is the one that kind of jumped out to me that I, I raised my eyebrows at. And the other one that I raised my eyebrows at was... From Fox Sports, Jason McIntyre, who has the Cowboys taking a tight end in the first round. Not Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame kid, but Dalton Kincaid out of Utah, who's a 6'4", 240, 23 years old. He says that this will be the pick because he can be a plug-and-play if Dallas loses Dalton Schultz in free agency. So you want to spend a first-round pick to try to replace Dalton Schultz? (laughs) Again, that's another one of those things, and you and I were talking about this. You know, the Cowboys, they haven't taken a quarterback, or excuse me, a, a tight end in the first round since David LaFleur in 1997. <laughs> They're not going to take a tight end in the first round. Well, uh, well let's go a step further, man. Um, and a step further just says, check this out. They drafted um, Dalton Schultz's replacement last year. That's what they did. They yeah. took him in the fourth round. Just like, where did they take Dalton Schultz, bro? Fourth round. Where'd they take Jason Witten? Third round. Mm-hmm. All right. They kind of tell you over the period of time, they've taken a couple in the second, Anthony Fasano and uh, Gavin Escobar. But yeah. typically, they think you can find tight ends third, fourth round. They're not going to spend the first round. Plus, 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 plus. There's nothing you saw from Peyton Hendershot or Jake Ferguson to make you think, that they could they can't adequately replace Dalton Schultz either as individuals or as a tandem next season. There's nothing you saw last year that made you think, oh wow, they they got to definitely go get a tight end because the guys they got behind him are bums. Frankly, those guys actually look pretty good, and tight end was one of the strongest positions on the team. Why? Because those guys look pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's wild when you go back. I mean, you can just go back for the last few years. You know, like you mentioned when they picked up Dalton Schultz in the 2018 draft in the fourth round. And remember, remember Rico Gathers when they took a shot on him in the sixth round? Wow, I forgot about him. Yeah. And, and everybody was like, oh, watch out for this guy. And he never did anything anywhere. You know, they got Jeff Swaim in the seventh round. They went uh, Escobar, as you mentioned, in 2013 was the second rounder. Before that, it was James Hanna, who was the sixth round guy or seventh round guy, whatever he was. But, you know, it, it's that's how it comes sometimes like like maybe it was last year when we were doing this or the year before whenever like some people were saying the Cowboys would take a safety in the first round like they they don't value certain positions that way and they make it obvious by their draft history not just over like a couple of years we're talking over 20 plus years of draft sample that's the Cowboys don't do that yes they don't so give it up and I also look I get because a couple of guys like Todd McShay has them taking a guard Another site has them taking an offensive lineman who can play guard as well. And, and I get that, but I, I thought it was interesting when we had Todd Archer on the podcast earlier this past week, you know, he threw this out there and I've often thought this as well. 
why do the Cowboys have to be the one team whose entire offensive line is made up of first-round draft picks? Like, oh, Connor McGovern's leaving. Better go out there and make sure you fill him with the first-round draft pick at guard. Nah, bro. I mean, frankly, that's what uh, that's part of what coaching is about. Coaching is about let me go find somebody and coach them up and fulfill an adequate replacement. Um, if you were ranking positions just for conversation, guard would be near the bottom of the list of most vital positions to your success. Yeah. So no. Now, yes, they took Zach Martin in the in the in the first round. So if you want to take a Hall of Fame guard in the first round, okay, fine. I'm not going to argue with you. But outside of that, bro. You can find guards, okay? They're not hard to find. Um, you certainly don't need one in the first round. No, you don't. And, and that's why, like, honestly, of the, you know, there's like a sample size, like 12 different mocks. The one that actually makes the most sense to me that I would love is Pro Football Focus, who has them taking Jalen Hyatt, who's the wide receiver out of Tennessee. He is a guy, as they point out, had 677 yards on deep receptions to lead all of college football this season. He is a legit first-round pick. He's going to go in the first round, and he's a dude that can truly take the top off the defense. And we've talked about that. that. That's what I want them to do in the first round. Go get a weapon. Go get an actual legitimate guy who can kind of do what C.D. Lamb did, who you, you're not drafting this guy to be your number one wide receiver. C.D. Lamb's your number one wide receiver. You're drafting him to be what C.D. Lamb was, to Amari Cooper a couple of years ago. Right, right, right. And uh, nothing wrong with that, man. You know, a lot of times I don't even get involved in best player available. I say, just go get a dude who can play and make sense. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, no team really, not even uh, your Super Bowl champs, the Chiefs, no team is perfect. So get a dude who can play and whose position makes sense. If you do that, you can't go wrong. And, you know, the reality is the Cowboys do a pretty good job with the draft. I mean, overall, they probably get a B-plus on the draft over, you know, a period of time since Will McClay's been doing it. Uh, they very rarely miss on the first round. Uh, now, they have some problems on the second round, but then they, they do a really good job, fifth, sixth round, seventh round, coming up with guys who can play. Uh, and so, you know, I trust the Cowboys draft. Now, we'll see because Jalen Hyatt might be one of those guys that after the combine, you're not going to have him there at 26 because this is a dude who has run a 10.46 in the 100 meter, and he has let it be known that he his goal is to run a 4.29 at the combine. <laughs> okay. So, we'll see. He's, he's six foot, like 185, 190. That dude can fly. But even if he doesn't do a 4.29 and he runs like a 4.3 something, I mean, that's we'll see. We'll see what it turns out to. But again, I mean, we know how it is at the combine. Some of these guys will post a number in certain things. You're like, whoa, all of a sudden that moved him probably a little higher up with that type of, that type of speed. But it's it, it's interesting. It's 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 really interesting to see the amount of different positions. I mean, both offensively and defensively that these experts believe the Cowboys will go after. The other thing that I thought was interesting that you sent, and I saw this too, and I was like, no way. And that is... Former Cowboy Byron Jones, who I guess he posted this on Twitter. Yeah. Shared on Twitter, I can't today, I can't run or jump because of my injuries sustained playing this game. Do not take the pills they give you. Do not take the injections they give you. If you absolutely must, consult an outside doctor to learn the long-term implications. And the reason why he did that is because the NFL had tweeted out about him 
call him Mr. Broad Jump because the combine's coming up next next week. And he immediately just retweeted it with that comment and followed it up. It was an honor and privilege to play in the NFL, but it came at a regrettable cost I did not foresee. In my opinion, no amount of professional success or financial gain is worth avoidable chronic pain and disabilities. Godspeed to the draft class of 2023. Godspeed to you guys, but by the way, your life's going to suck in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to look. So he made uh, $30 million. In his and career? Average, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to make Because sure he, he got that five-year $82 million contract with the Dolphins, but I, he, I think he still has a couple years left on that. Well, he ain't getting those years. Yeah, and he, he missed all of last year. <laughs> he was on the pup list all year long, and he had an off-season Achilles surgery that prevented him from passing a physical to get back to Miami. Like, you know, like he's supposed to make $13 million this year. He'll never see that. No, no, he's, he's expected to, to be cut. $12 million. Yeah, it's supposed to make twelve million next year. He's supposed to see that. Sounds like his career is over, and so. I mean, if he uh, can't run or jump, yeah, I mean. Yeah, but yeah, and I'm not I'm not poo pooing it at all because if we, anybody you talk to says that, um, you know, playing the NFL takes just takes years off your body. Uh, but I wonder if we caught him on a like he had Achilles, and so I wonder if his rehab has been slower than than anticipated. And Achilles is a bad injury, man. Yeah, no uh, doubt. Now, you do have people like Kevin Durant who come back and still play, and other people come back and play. But, you know, you can be one of those people where it didn't heal right and, you know, just just robbed you of your ability to do that. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, looking at it, so he just finished his, well, he obviously didn't well, play, but he got paid last year, his third year in Miami. So he has made $69,425,000 in his career. That's what I was trying to find out. Yeah, and he... Eight seasons. Knowing Byron Jones, he made sixty nine million. He's probably knowing Byron Jones, he's probably no cap, probably worth about fifty million. I mean, that's and again, as he because he was a smart guy, and you know, he didn't strike me as a guy who blew a lot of money doing a lot of different things right. or whatever. I could be wrong, but it just seemed to me like he's probably got most of his money. And I always uh, wonder. I mean, it's so difficult because now he's 30 years old. In hindsight, maybe he goes. But, I mean, I don't know. I always wonder if you show a guy that, you go, okay, yes, your body is this and chronic pain and all this. Here's your $70 million, roughly. Or you have a normal life with a normal college degree. And, you know, like comparatively, if, if you saw that and experienced that, which one would you take? I don't know. Because, I mean, all these guys going into the NFL, I mean, I think how hard is it? For a, if, if you're a 21-year-old, 22-year-old coming out of college and Byron Jones tells you this, like, hey, dude, you'll play for eight years. You'll make $70 million, but I can't run. I can't jump. And I hurt every day like crazy. And they can tell them that till they're blue in the face. And how many of them will go, yeah, dude, but you're a multi-multi-millionaire and you've got generational wealth to some degree. Yeah. You know, um, I had a few conversations with Dion about that because, you know, the reason ultimately that he got his toes amputated was he suffered a turf toe playing for the Cowboys in like 97 or so, 98. And it just never got any better. It hurt him the whole time. Yeah. And it finally got to the point where he's like, okay, I'm retired. Let me go have surgery and correct it. Had some black clots, blase, blase. And he ended up with two toes amputated. But I used to tell him, so like he's, and so to me he's a good case because, all right, he's one of the world's greatest athletes for a period of time. 
you know, football, baseball, track, did all that stuff, um, was amazingly fast, and now he can't run. And yeah. I was like, do you miss not being able to run, for, given, given who you are and what you did? And he's like, uh, yeah, I miss it, but that was my time, and my time has passed, and now I'm in a different time. And so now I work with people who do all of that, and I try to get them to, to enjoy, you know, all of that that they do. He goes, but, you know, that was my time, and my time has passed. And so, like, he gets on a bike and rides a bike, and he tries to find enjoyment in that from an athletic kind of thing, just getting on there and moving around, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, a lot of it comes to just embracing your new reality and trying to find the best within that new reality. Yeah. Yeah, and that's Which where... Which is I, easier said than done for some folks. Yeah, I would imagine. And, and you know, again, because I wonder, like, even, like, you use Dion, and are there times where he goes, okay, yeah, I might not be able to do that, but, hell, look at my... I've got this this ranch, or I've got this massive piece of property. I can go out and fish on it anytime I want in, in peace and quiet because of what I put my body through and the sacrifices that I made to have this type of lifestyle now as I've gotten older. Oh, yeah, I believe there's definitely some truth in that. Um, I think the interesting thing about this always is don't take those pills, don't take those shots. Yeah. Because, you know, I know college kids take pills and shots to play. Sure. Which sounds insane. But what happens if you don't? They move you out of there and they're on to the next one. They find the guy who will take it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a, it's it's jerk. You know, pro sports is a dirty game, man. And the only thing you have to understand about pro sports is understand that they're using you, and you use them to the same degree, and make sure that you get out of it whatever it is that you're searching for. That to me is the most important thing. Yeah, which kind of goes back to the whole thing with Byron Jones and, and why you see these guys and, and, and like Dak's a great example of this, like, Oh, he should take less. He should help the team. Why? I mean, you look at Byron Jones again, going back to his career with the Cowboys five years with the Cowboys made $6.3 million leaves as a free agent, or I guess he made, no, he made more than that. I'm trying to do the, the numbers in my head. Well, he, le- anyway, it doesn't matter. He, so with the, he leaves as a free agent is what I'm trying to say after making $15 million with the Cowboys over five seasons in three years in Miami, he's made $54 million. Wow. And he didn't even have any interceptions, bro. No, (laughs) exactly. So you think about that. I mean, that's how come like we talk about get paid, man. If you get a chance and these dudes leave, Oh, I can't. Why, why wouldn't you help the team? Why would you? Because one day you're going to wake up and you might be like Byron Jones and you better hope that you got that payday. Yeah, because, I mean, you can invest it and do it, but now you're living off that for the next 50 years. Yeah, exactly, which is... A million bucks a year. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, it's... It, it's And you've got an opportunity because that type of money, I mean, $50 million, if, if and I don't know Byron Jones like you do, obviously, and, and if he's a guy that has been smart with his money and has made smart investments, that's something that his kids and his kids' kids... You know, that changes their lives for the people that come after him. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that, bro. And that's that's no the thing. That. It's like somewhere along the way, you know, I mean, hell, who knows in the year 22, whatever, you know, twenty two seventeen, you know, Byron Jones 8 is sitting around somewhere going, yeah, my great, great, great granddad played in the NFL. And that's why we live this life now. And, and we're investors and we have all I mean, it changes everything down the line if they do it right. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt, bro. Which is awesome. So as we continue here, 
Well, let's go ahead. We'll tell you about HFX Foundation Solutions because Aaron and his guys, man, we know how it is and we've made it through for the most part the winter. And I, this is kind of a side conversation and, and we'll get into HFX Foundation, but everywhere you live, like Texas does this and because I know Texas is, you know, like last week it was 80 degrees one day and then it's 50 degrees the next day. And then people go only in Texas. And that's exactly what happens in Alabama. Like, you know, it'll be one, one day last week, it was 83. And then by Friday, it was 53. And people go, oh, only in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not just, really. I'm like, it's the South, man. It's the South. The South has drastic temperature changes pretty much in every state. Like nature isn't like, oh, wait, we're about to hit the border of Texas. Oh, okay. Well, we don't want to make our temperature fluctuations that weird in these other states right next to it. Now, I will say it does feel like in Texas, the temperatures, you know, like here, maybe it fluctuates like 25 degrees. And it feels like there are times in Texas where it'll fluctuate like 40 degrees. But point being, the temperature fluctuations as we get geared back up to where it'll get hot again, they screw with your foundation, man, especially in Texas, because the soil is different everywhere. That's why you don't have basements in Texas, because your house would cave in on itself. But (laughs) if you see cracks and sticking doors, if you started to notice some things after the wild ass weather season that DFW had last year, you need to give Aaron a call, man. You should give HFX Foundation Solutions a call. It's a free, no obligation inspection. And at least they can come out and give you a peace of mind. Maybe you got a problem, maybe you don't. But you, with Foundation, you want to know what's going on. I don't know, man. The worst words you can hear is, oh, we've got a little problem with Foundation we need to talk to you about. Nah, ain't nobody trying to have that conversation. So what you need to do, go give Aaron and his team a phone call and say, hey, come get my house, that colonoscopy that Taylor's always talking about. And, you know, we say it jokingly, but it's, it's a serious matter, which is, you know, we all get a colonoscopy when you reach a certain age. Why? So you can check your insides out that nobody else can see and make sure you're good. It's the same thing for your crib, man. Yeah. You go get a colonoscopy for your crib. They're checking out all the insides, all the stuff you can't see. All of that stuff that you can't see. And then they'll come back with a report. Hey, looks great. You know, I was told I had a perfect colon. <laughs> I'm very happy. <laughs> So nope. so who wouldn't want to be getting that piece of paper from Aaron and said, hey, we checked it out. You got a perfect internal look. And if by chance they find something, chances are they found it early. And so they can say, hey, we saw this, but let's go take care of it. It'll cost you this, which is probably going to be a fraction of what it'll cost you if they find it late. So pick up the phone, give Aaron and his team a call and get that colonoscopy for your crib so you can be like me, have perfect colon. Yeah. Be like Jacques, have a, have a perfect colon. <laughs> <laughs> or have a perfect foundation, so call him. HFX Foundation Solutions, 817-770-0174. Aaron and his guys, they're going to get you taken care of, man. That was a true story. My colon, did, I did, they did say. I don't say this to many people, but yours is clean as a whistle. looks fantastic. Did they give you a little printed out picture of it? Yeah, it was gross. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I used to have, I had a colonoscopy years ago because of some digestive problems I was having, and they gave me my camera shot of it or whatever, and I framed it and put it in my bathroom when I was in college. So that people would, if they came over to use my bathroom, they'd look at my colon. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean, look, you're in the bathroom. That's perfectly natural. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is what a colon looks like. So I wanted to throw out a couple of other stories here, kind of taking a trip around the block, but I think everybody remembers this dude, and yet we don't. Sam Hurd, 
the former Cowboys oh. wide receiver, bro, has been released from federal prison after. And I like I remember him and getting caught up in this massive drug trafficking thing. He had been in prison for ten years, bro. He's supposed to be there fifteen. Ten years, and he will be. He's scheduled to be released May thirtieth, but he was he was released early and has received community confinement in the San Antonio area. So he served 10 years of his 15-year prison sentence. That's a long time, man. Uh, Sam Hurd, the most unlikeliest of drug dealers. So wild, dude. Drug kingpins. I mean, he was trying to be a kingpin. Um, He just got caught up, man. He Uh, did. I mean, he had already, uh, what's the word? He had already won his lottery ticket. Now, his lottery ticket was undrafted free agent that nobody ever heard of. Got to the NFL, became boys with T.O. Uh, T.O. helped him become a better player. His own natural growth and improvement um, led to him, you know, uh, being a contributor with the Cowboys because he yeah. ended up being a, a solid receiver and a pretty good special teams player. And then he got a contract from the Bears. And he's like, dude, you're getting paid. Yeah, I mean, you got the contract. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't massive, but it was a good contract for a guy like him. You got the life, bro. But – he got caught up in that drug money, that so-called easy money, man. And uh, they popped his ass. And uh, like I said, he's lucky. You know, the judge, if I remember it right, because I did a lot of stories on this for the morning news at the time. But the judge thought that he wasn't a bad person. Yeah. That really that he just got caught up in it. And then, you know, now he was greedy like a lot of us or a lot of folks. Uh, and so he got caught up in it uh, because he could have gotten life. For, for what he, he had done and the amount of cocaine he was trying to move. Uh, but instead, uh, I believe it was a, a woman judge. She gave him 15 years. And, uh, you know, he was pretty happy about that. Yeah, which apparently the recommended federal sentencing was 27 to 34 years. Yeah, which is basically life to me. Yeah, man. Because I mean, if you, if you go in at 27, they give you 27 to 30 years, man. You're out at. 57 or 60 and your life is you're in the fourth quarter i mean that is yeah that's pretty wild dude and it's you look at this so now he's out and he had been arrested in chicago outside a steakhouse attempting to purchase cocaine he told undercover agents at the time that he wanted to distribute five to ten kilograms kilos five to ten kilos of cocaine and a thousand pounds of marijuana per week in the chicago area like I said, he wanted to be a kingpin. I mean, that is some weight right there, man. Now, first off, if you're a kingpin, you, the kingpin never has these conversations. Yeah, what are you doing, man? The kingpin has people who has these conversations. The kingpin is never having conversations like this, man. That's how it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I watched the mayor of Kingstown. Bunny is never around his stuff. <laughs> I mean, I know how it works. I mean, come on, Sam Hurd, watch a movie. Dude, so, I, can't, I, yeah. I just I can't believe that was so long ago because I remember that story. And uh, it's it's amazing to me that he's already been in prison and out in ten years. Like I can't believe that was ten years ago. The beauty for him is he's only thirty seven. Like for real, huh? that's the beauty True. for him. Cowboys he's need a wide his, receiver. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's got his um, <laughs> he's got his entire life out there. He can reinvent himself. He can he can do a myriad of things if um, if his mind is right. And uh, he can go about the business of attacking life. 
You hope so, man, because 37, you, you'd like to think you still got a chunk of time to, to do some things if you can get past this and move on. But yeah, now, I That's mean, a big old thing to get past, but yeah. it can be done. It's not like it can't be done. It can be done. Just such a wild-ass story. I mean, I remember when that was breaking of just like the, wait, what? Sam Hurd is this massive like drug lord guy trying to, you know, like he's trying to turn himself into Tony Montana or something out of a movie. I'm actually surprised yep. they never made a movie out of this story. Uh, maybe it's coming. Maybe he'll do a doc on it. He should, because you know, that is a wild-ass story, man. He's got to come up with some ways to make some money now. You would think so, yeah. So the other thing, and this is happening around Dallas, and th this is like one of those, oh, really? But in the long run, it'll be good for you guys in the North Dallas area. So TxDOT has let it be known that they are going to be starting a new project later this year to transform Highway 75. So 75 up there, basically from where the Hov Lane is now, the HOV Lane from LBJ all the way up into Allen. They are going to get rid of those lanes and call them, turn them into what they call technology lanes so that instead of having... And look, I mean, I don't know if you guys do this, but let's be honest. A lot of people drive in the HOV lane anyway, especially there, because you can get in and out of it pretty easily at times. But yeah. point being, they're actually going to turn those into lanes that anybody can use, except they'll be called technology lanes that will be for HOVs, low emission vehicles, and electric vehicles during peak traffic hours, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and 4 to 6 p.m., but all other times, it'll give those areas five lanes going each way instead of the four right now with the one kind of being the HOV that always has crap in it and, and can be annoying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how are they going to know about low voltage and, I don't and know. emissions cars? I wonder the same thing. I mean, this quote's hilarious. It says, it's going to increase capacity on that corridor by one additional lane. So that'll help in terms of congestion going through that highway 91% of the time, literally. Why 91% of the time? Why not 90? Why so not 92? I, I don't know. But apparently this is something because everybody that, that is familiar with going that direction on 75, especially once you get up towards Allen, it's just such a beating because the amount of people that live north of Dallas now. And this is one of those things. I've always wondered this. Like, you're going to do this. Why not add, like, while you're doing this construction, why not add another lane and another lane? Why not no, start I'm building a double-decker or something? I don't know. <laughs> no idea bro no idea none. i mean like like none yeah it, it, it's it's one of those things it's it's a two-year project once they start it minimum and that it it'll be if they get it started by the end of this year it'll be open sometime early 2026 so does that mean they shut down a lane until it's done Ah, this is gonna it probably will make it difficult because obviously they're gonna have to do some things where they have to eliminate all the plastic barricades that are there now. They then repaint the lanes, and they, re they are removing and replacing temporary concrete medians and also installing taller light poles along the corridor. Yeah, okay, call me when it's over. Right? It says it'll be a big positive for anyone driving that corridor because it's adding capacity and minimizing the risk associated with those HOV lanes. Yeah, it'll be great once it's done. Yeah, once it's done, that's the whole dang thing, man. They've been, you know, there, there's uh, somewhere in Dallas constantly on all the major highways, there is construction somewhere. <laughs> yeah, bro. It's, uh, let me tell you what it's like, man. Um, 
how do I want to say this? Uh, I actually like to drive. I don't like to drive long distance, but I, I really don't mind driving. I really, bro, no longer like driving at Dallas. It's rough. There's just freaking traffic everywhere. Yep. All day, every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just uh, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and so I don't even like to to venture out very much, man, because you can't just go from here to there. There's, I mean, it's just ridiculous the amount of traffic here, and it's from, uh, you know, the city being swollen from all these companies moving here and yep. bringing all their employees. And while that's great for the company, I mean, it's great for the city and uh, and its continued growth. And, and and I think Dallas is one of the great cities. But dude, that's the drawback. It is, man, and it is very difficult. I think. Like, that's one of those things now, like, not living in Dallas and having not been there since I've been living in Alabama now for a year and a half. Being in a city like Birmingham that's so easy to get around and, and we can go to so many different places and it's quick and easy. You rare, I mean, they, there is traffic here at peak times like anywhere else and it can be a little bit of, but it, it is not Dallas. You know, yeah. I remember being back home for Christmas and we were going around places trying to go to a brewery from where my parents live out in Rockwall and it's just like, okay, well, you know, we got to, what time you want to meet? Cause we're going to have to leave. It'll take us about an hour to get there. And that's just from traffic. Yeah. Now granted rock is not exactly close, but I think what's happening, especially in Dallas, you know, the downtown area, people are living downtown now and that's their life. Like their life is they work, they do everything and they're in downtown or they live in Frisco and they work and they do everything. And Frisco is their area. You know, you don't right. have a lot of these people in a lot of these places that is going because you don't want to have to go all over the place. So people are just like, where do you live? I live in Plano. Well, what do you do? Plano. <laughs> you ever been, and you'll ask somebody, you ever been to this place? Oh no, we don't go into Dallas. No, that's true, bro. I mean, I, I know people that live inside the 635 loop. They won't go north of 635 unless they absolutely have to. Like they like, nah, I don't want to meet up there. It's too far. I'm not going north. And you're like, okay. But if you do, like you're talking about, you know, you got a plan. There's a good chance if, if you want to go somewhere that's not in your immediate little surrounded area, you're probably looking at an hour minimum of traffic time. Bro, that's just the way it is, man. It is. And it's, it's not going to get any better, obviously, because Dallas just continues to grow and grow and grow. But I always wonder, and I know that it's been, you know, I think I-30 opened in like the late 1950s. And I always wonder how back then did they not have any type of model to give you an idea that maybe they should have built more lanes originally when it would have been way easier to do. Hmm. Uh, they probably couldn't have conceived of the city growing like this, bro. Probably not. You're probably right. I mean, so yeah. I mean, even they, I mean, I just don't. I just don't know if. Back then, I don't think there's any what kind of way to have that kind of foresight. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, it's, there's just so many people, even now, like the amount of people and how fast they're moving, you know, when you look at it, it's something like whatever it is now, like 7.6 million people that live in the DFW area now. It's just, it's, it's crazy. And the, and the hundreds of thousands or whatever it is, it's moving there every year from all over the country. Oh uh, yeah, bro. It's, it's wild. I mean, I mean it's, uh, I mean, it is wild. 
the growth here is just absurd. And I mean, that's why we end up talking about all the time what, you know, how am I going to say this? Like a place like Melissa or Anna used to be like out yeah. in the sticks. Who lives there? Like 20 people. And, you know, now, man, it's those places are booming. That's where everybody's moving to, trying to get away from, uh, you know, if you don't want to live in Plano, I mean, if you don't want to live in Allen or McKinney, you want a little more room, a little more space, uh, I guess I'll move a little further north. And boom, there you are. Before we know, you're at Melissa or you're at uh, Anna or some other spot out there. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's absolutely wild, man. I mean, they say that, sometime in the 2030s, the DFW population will be over 10 million people. Jeez. Like they are projecting that in the year 2030, it'll be over 9 million people. And sometime in the 2030s, it'll it'll surpass 10 million to be, it'll be New York, LA, and DFW. Damn, where are they ranked right now? Well, I think right now Chicago still technically has, you know, the Chicagoland area still has some slightly more people than the DFW area does. Yeah, but we've passed Houston now? Well, just like separately, because the Houston metro is not as big as the Dow- the DFW metro, but a Dallas by itself and Fort Worth by itself aren't bigger than Houston. Right. Right. All right. I mean, it's, uh, it's just booming, bro. But man, How like there are it? times where it does kind of feel like it's going to get to a point where like people in New York, you know, you don't have a car, you just... The problem is there's no real good public transportation around Dallas. No. No. There's not. There's still time to build one, though. Yeah, so Houston... I think the the problem is you have to... Think about public transportation. You tell me. You have to train people to use it. Yep, that's true. You you grow up in New York. You grow up in Chicago. You grow up in Atlanta. You grow up in D.C. How do you get around? Oh, I take the train. I take the metro. I take the MARTA. You know, that's what I do. I take the subway. That's what I do. We in Dallas, hey, when 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 you buy me a car, you know. So people here aren't trained to use it. So even if it's there, you know, I don't think that they use it like it like it should be used or could be used. You're right. It, it, that's because we are not used to it at all. And when they tried to get the dart going, and, and I know a lot of people take it, you just not. That's not what you do. You just sit in your car. It's what people do. It is interesting though because so. Dallas right now is the fourth largest metro in the country at 7.7 million people. And Houston is fifth at 7.2 million people. And the top three, New York, L.A., and Chicago, all have lost population over the last year or two while Dallas continues to gain it, which is why, because Chicago right now is at 9.5. So we, at some point, as people continue to leave the Chicagoland area and move to the Dallas area, at some point they will pass each other. But you just wonder, like, I mean, L.A. has 13 million people. New York has, you know, 19, 20 million people. Once Dallas gets up there closer to L.A., it's, I don't know, it's wild, man. And I will tell you, there is a noticeable difference because I live in the 50th largest metro area. The Birmingham area is about 1.1, 1.2 million people. And there, it is just, it is such a drastic difference it's hard to describe because this is more Birmingham is probably a lot closer to like an Oklahoma city would be. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like, like that type yeah. of Metro, you know? Yeah. And it is just, uh, it, it's, you know, you, you can't really, unless you're actually going somewhere right down the street, you're not going anywhere in Dallas in 15 minutes. 
And in Birmingham, I can get to downtown Birmingham in 15 minutes pretty much anytime I want. <laughs> and I live in a suburb of Birmingham. So, uh, Dude, how about that? It's wild, man. <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to throw out here for you is, I don't know if you saw this, but this was wild. You know, spring training going on, obviously, with the Rangers. Everybody's out there either in Arizona or Florida right now for spring training. Well, they have been incorporating the pitch clock. And... They had a game the other day that ended on a pitch clock infraction that for the like first time ever in any recorded baseball game at this level that I mean that it was a pitch a pitch clock walk off because the batter didn't get into the batter's box on time and because of that it was an infraction and it was the bottom of the ninth or whatever and the bases were loaded and it ended up being well that's the game which is really weird get your ass in a box but man this is one of those things and they say this is exactly what happened when the miners first started testing it out a year ago or two years ago whenever it was with the pitch clock that it took them you know it took them a week or two to kind of get it and get into that rhythm of working with the pitch clock and then once they did the infractions and all that stuff go way down and obviously spring training is four weeks for these pitchers the batters everybody involved to have that understanding of how this works and how the infractions work and all this. But some of the times that they are putting out for spring training games, I mean, this could be a godsend, this pitch clock thing. Like 223, 233? Yep, 215. Yeah, how about just a normal game, man? Get in there and play baseball. Quit jerking around with your crotch and, you know, waving and batted imaginary. Just get in there and play, man. I mean, we didn't do all that when we were playing growing up. Matter of fact, I never left a box. I'm just in there. Throw it. Yeah. Let me hit it. I ain't got to step out. Let me think about what he's going to throw. And no, nah, it's all BS, man. Get your ass in there, swing the bat, and let's go. Yeah, it has been. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. And, and it, it's crazy to think that last year, the average time of spring training games was three hours and one minute. Wow. Three hours and one minute. And and you've got games that are clocking in way below that. I mean, if you can shave 45 minutes and make it a two-and-a-half-hour thing, Think about that's that. like a basketball. I mean, that's huge, man. That's like a basketball game. Like, I can go to a 7 o'clock basketball game, depending on where you live, but, you know, in DeSoto, you can go to the Mavericks game, starts at 7, you can be home by 9.45. Yeah. You know, 10 o'clock at the latest. And 10 o'clock's not that late, so you're all good. Uh, but you know you don't want to be going to Arlington, man, for a seven seven o'clock game, no. seven thirty game. That thing's not over till ten thirty, and then you still got to drive, beat traffic, and drive thirty minutes back home. If you live on that part, you know the southern part of Dallas, you're talking about living out north somewhere. I mean, that's a that's a late night, brother. Yeah, this is going to be a a game changer, man. And and they said like they just used an example here, the Mariners and Padres in their spring training opener, same as last year. 2022, three hours, 28 minutes. This year, two hours, 29 minutes. 59 minutes faster with the pitch clock. The Rangers-Royals game uh, on Saturday, I believe it was, two hours and 33 minutes. I mean, that's the way that baseball is supposed to be. Yeah, and as soon as the, um, you know, as soon as as, uh, the players get used to it, it'll be fine. And it, it won't take them long to get used to it. Uh, it really won't because they'll adapt and, um, you know, very soon they'll be like, oh, okay, here's here's what the deal is. 
Yeah, it'll be great, man. It'll, it'll make watching baseball games, especially on TV, it'll make the viewing experience so much better. Yeah, maybe it'll bring some juice back to the game because I, I I was explaining to uh, my kids in my SMU class, I used to be a big baseball fan because I don't know how many people remember this, but or I don't know how many people know this about me, but again, my parents were divorced, and so I spent my summers. Do you know where I spent my summers, Matt? Well, if it wasn't in Buffalo, I don't know. No, no, my parents were married in Buffalo. When they got divorced, they left Buffalo, each of them. So I'm, I'm telling you real business, bro, from about time I was seven years old until I was uh, 15. Well, I spent probably a couple summers in Columbus, but probably from seven to 12 or seven to 13, I spent my summers in Cincinnati. So I was all about the, I was all about the big red machine, bro. Yeah, man. I mean, I grew up a huge Reds fan. Riverfront Stadium. Yeah. I didn't care about the Rangers because we had Johnny Bench behind the plate and Dan Dreesen at first, Joe Morgan at second, Concepcion at third, Pete at, I mean, Concepcion is short, Pete at third, and then George Foster, Ken Griffey, and Cesar Geronimo out there in the outfield, you know. So, and I was at, I was uh, in Cincinnati the summer of the 44-game hitting streak. So, I grew up a baseball fan is, is the point of all of this. Yeah. And then even when I was covering the Rangers, that was good baseball. That was fun baseball. Not just winning, but they were a fun team to watch. And then somehow, bro, over a decade, it just became a shit show. You know, this whole yep. three outcomes and mm-hmm. it's either a homer, a walk, or a strikeout. And we'll talk about this another day. But if you're not careful, you know, basketball is going that way. It's a dunk, a free throw, or a three-pointer. Um, and so I don't know how they're going to change that. But but anyway, so it would be fun if baseball got back to stealing bases and going first to third. Yep. And just playing the game the way it was really designed to be played. Yeah, I I was always a huge baseball fan growing up, and I'm same way as, as you are. I mean, it just got to a point where it was so boring to watch because analytics at some point started to ruin the game. Like all these yeah. sabermetrics where it, it wasn't the way that most of us probably grew up with it. It was almost like, okay, well, according to this stat, if we do this and put the fielders here, then there's no way this guy's going to get on base. Right. And you're like, well, who wants to watch that? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> to just going up, like we all grew up that way. If you played baseball growing up, you know, you didn't, I don't know at what point it became after every pitch, I got to step out of the batter's box, readjust everything on my entire body. And then the pitcher is just standing up there. You know, it used to be you got in the batter's box and if and I, I pitched when I was a kid, you know, you got on the mound, you threw the pitch. Catcher gave you the ball back and you <laughs> you didn't, I mean, it's just, it got so out of control, man. And I'm glad Major League Baseball recognized that. So we got to do something. Like this is not what baseball. It's got it got way too into sabermetrics, and it really took I think some of what baseball was all about, which is why it was America's pastime for so long. It took it kind of out of the game. Hell yeah, dude. Well, I'm glad baseball is trying to take its sport back. Me too, man. Because I'm looking forward to this Ranger season. I'm I'm excited because and again i know it's all about the health and yes i get it but josh young's going to be the opening day third baseman which is going to be great to see you know hopefully degrom and heaney can be healthy early on and evaldi and those guys and if they are i know we kind of mentioned this but man if this staff can just be healthy you literally look at the dude who was your top pitcher last year martin perez and he's probably your fourth or fifth starter this year that tells you something if they have health what this team might be able to do we'll see no that's a that's a great thing, bro. Yeah. Great. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm I may subscribe to MLB TV for the first month of the season so I can watch some Rangers and if they're still in it, that way I can just do a month by month thing and see, uh, you know, if they suck, I'm not going to invest, but no, I ain't mad at you, dog. I at least want to see some of the early season action when you still believe. <laughs> it's okay. You and ho- hopefully this isn't like one of the teams that we've seen in the last couple of years. I mean, we've all known. If you grow up a Rangers fan, I mean, there are times by the time, hell, there have been times by the time you got to May, you're like, well, this season sucks. Nah, bro, there's been a lot of those. And there's been times, I mean, usually by the All-Star break, the season's been way over for Rangers fans. But I don't know. We'll see. I'm hopeful. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about what this thing might be able to be. Well, they got a good start yesterday from uh, one of their their starting pitchers. Uh, so you know, we'll see. Uh, they're going to be very competitive because their pitching staff looks to be good. Yeah, and they've got uh, some depth. That's the thing is they've got some dudes who probably a year or two ago would have been on the the starting rotation for sure. But now they have the option of not having to use those guys unless there is an injury or they need them for a spot start. There's a lot of competition. And there's a lot of good young arms in the system, man, which is kind of promising for where this thing could be headed in the next few years. Yeah. Let's sit back and enjoy. You don't have to rush lighter or rocker any of those guys. You can let them, you know, take the time they need and bring them up. And then when you bring them up, they don't have to immediately be your number one guy. No. They should be taking Martin's spot and uh, Gray's spot over the next couple of years. Yeah, which is fantastic. Uh, I found out we're not, we can't go to Chicago that weekend. The Rangers are there, unfortunately. No, so that sucks. Yeah. We will not be able to get there that weekend to see the Rangers because I was going to wear my, I got a, I've got a Rangers powder blue, man. I was going to wear it in, in Wrigley. Oh, that'd be nice. I mean, powder blue looks good anywhere. Dude, it's, that is a great. great look. That, that, that uniform is a just beautiful, gorgeous look for the Rangers. All right. Yeah, well, I would love for it. I guess that's it for us. We're recording this early enough so that maybe we can get off. And I know uh, the Lakers Mavs are on national TV today, man. They're going to be on ABC. Yeah, we're recording this early enough because my book is due Wednesday, and that's all I'm doing for the next 96 hours. <laughs> all right, well, get back, work on your book. Everybody have a wonderful week, and we will check in with you guys again in a couple of days. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.